Welcome to another encouraging message from Pastor Jason Yalbron, lead pastor of One Community Church located in El Dorado, Arkansas. For information about the ministry of Pastor Jason or One Community Church, please visit our website at occeldorado.com. Or you can find us on Facebook by searching One Community Church El Dorado. We'll get to Romans 12 here in just a moment. But a teacher asked a little boy this question. Suppose your mother baked a pie and there were seven of you, your parents and five children. What part of the pie would you get? The little boy said, a sixth. The teacher said, I'm afraid, son, you don't know your fractions. Remember, she said, there are seven of you. And the little boy said, well, I'm afraid you don't know my mom. She would gladly give me her peace. And as we celebrate moms today who would gladly give up their piece of pie and more and have and would, it just seems fitting today when thinking about moms to talk about the subject of, what's, what's that word? Talk about the subject of grace. So let's jump in. Let's look at grace. We talk as though we understand grace and understand the term. The bank gives us a grace period. The celebrity, politician, authority figure falls from grace. The musician speaks of a grace note. We describe an actress as gracious and a dancer as graceful. We use the word to name hospitals, and some of us, like Alicia and I, have a daughter whose name is Grace. We refer to the blessing over our meal as, let's say, grace. We talk like we know what grace means, especially at church. Some churches are even named grace. Grace is the song we sing, the Bible verse we read. The word grace shares the other church famous words and favorite words of the church like faith, fellowship, forgiveness. Preachers preach about it, hymns proclaim it, seminaries teach it, but do we really understand what grace means? I've got a feeling that many of us, including me at times, have what I call wimpy grace. We have a wimpy, wimpy grace mindset or mentality, and we can all fall into this. It's a grace that fits into a hymn. It sings good in the lyrics of a worship song. It looks nice and catchy on a church sign, but it never really causes any trouble, and it never really changes how we live. Write this down today if you're taking notes. Grace is messy. Grace is messy. I think in the church, because of the beautiful hymns and songs and I don't know, the depiction in our minds, I think majority of us, including me, until I prepared for this sermon months ago, the Lord laid this on my heart to preach on Mother's Day, but I had this kind of pretty picture, box picture of grace, and then I started going back in my mind, and I started thinking about the times I experienced grace in my life. And when I experienced grace in my life, it was normally at messy times of my life. It really wasn't in the good times of life, but somehow we have this mental picture of grace as if it's in this pretty package, this pretty box with a, with a pretty gr- a bow on it. 
But I want to tell you today that grace is messy. And grace for me showed up in a word called pain. Grace hurt. It hurt me. But I experienced God at another level. I experienced grace at another level that I had never experienced before. And it was in a trial. It was in a hard time of my life. Those are the times that I've experienced grace the most. Not the mountaintop experiences. It's been in the valley that I've experienced grace. Can, can anybody relate to that? You ask someone if they believe in grace, and who would say no? Even if they don't believe in God, it's still a word and it carries meaning. Is that right? And I think a deeper question must be asked. Not do you believe in grace, but have you been changed by grace? Have you been shaped by grace? Have you been strengthened by grace? Have you been softened by grace? God's great grace has a drenching to it. It comes at you like waves of the ocean, one after the other after the other, and it has a wildness to it. It has a riptide about it. God's grace has a white water turn you upside downness about it. And sometimes it flips you upside down and all around. And like Brother Mike Coleman preached last week, it's like the shaft and the wheat, and it goes up into the air. And you're like, when will I ever land? It's grace. God's grace. God's grace comes after you. And it rewires you. And it redefines you. And it takes you from insecure to God secure. From regret to better because of it. From afraid to die to ready to fly into the arms of a loving Savior. Amen. God's unbelievable grace. Grace is the voice from heaven that causes us to change. And then it gives us the power to pull it off. Write this down. Notice what I said. Grace should cause you to change. Grace should cause you to change, not stay where you are. When we receive grace, we receive the heart of God. In the Old Testament, the Old Testament prophet Ezekiel, God told him, I'm going to give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. And I think we have to lean into the change, which requires discipline, which is where we get the word disciple. But rather than tell you to change, God creates the change. But again, the change happens as you lean into the change. As, it's, as he, it's as if he takes the old clunker engine inside of us, the old, I don't, know, I don't want to offend anyone, but I might, but the old Ford Pinto engine, and he puts a Ferrari engine inside of you. Only grace can do that. Grace does that. It's so opposite than the way we are wired to think by the world. Then what we could not do, you can do. The people you used to avoid and think didn't like you, you now have high respect for them. Grace is God. And I, I got this this week at the hospital, at the heart hospital. But grace, this I wrote it down. Grace is God as heart surgeon. Crap, cracking open our chest, removing the old poison, hurt, immature, toxic, prideful, hurt, offended heart, and replacing it with the still beating heart of Jesus Christ. That is grace. That is grace. So today I got some questions. You can't forgive your enemies, you can't face tomorrow, you can't forget your past. It's okay. 
as Jesus Christ can. Grace, I heard one time, is Christ on the move. So it's the move of God on the inside of a human being, aggressively moving you from graceless to grace-shaped living. Grace is everything Jesus. Grace lives because he does, works because he works, and matters because he matters. I like this. You ought to write it down. Grace puts a term limit on sin. Grace puts a term limit on sin. Grace danced in the graveyard on Resurrection Sunday, and it promises we will do the same one day. Come on, church. Can we give God praise for that? (laughs) Hallelujah. Grace. Everybody shout it out. Grace. Grace. To be saved by grace is to be saved by Jesus. Grace is, is not to be saved by the right doctrine, the right church, the right works, the right protocol, the right discipline, the right resume. No, 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 no. Grace is to be received by Jesus himself. Grace must appear. This is so good. I worked so hard on this. So y'all act like you like it, okay? Because I worked hard on that last statement and y'all were gone. All right, so just do me, oblige me and act like, man, that was so good, okay? But watch this. Grace must appear to be, good, to be too good to be true in order for it to be true. Can, can we say that again? Grace must appear to be, uh, to be too good to be true in order for it to be true. Think about that. Thank you all. I teed that one up, so thank you. If grace doesn't make sense... <clears throat> Or let me put it like this would be a better way to say it. If grace doesn't make us say, really, it's not grace. Grace is pure, unmerited favor that Jesus Christ decided to give to you and to me. And he's the door, and he removes anyone who would be the screen door. Did y'all hear what I just said? He is the door, and he removes anyone who would try to be the screen door. He himself says, I give grace to you. So I ask today, do you have this grace? The Apostle Paul is finishing up the book of Romans. And um, it's like he knows he's been talking to our heads and now he wants to take the elevator to our heart. And he says something in Romans chapter 12. If you're there, say amen. Stay there because we're going to read several passages out of Romans 12. But I want us to look at verses 1 and 2 and then hold your place and we're going to continue it with verse 3. But watch what Paul says. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Next verse. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is good and acceptable and the perfect will of God. In other words, you've been given life is what Paul's saying, now give your life. When When you have been given and have received grace, now give your life to give it to someone else. So what I do is I give God my mind, I give him my voice, I I give him my hands, I give him my feet, and I present my body as a living sacrifice to God, and I let God use me because God gave me this grace. Now I, in return, give this grace, and I'm a carrier of this grace wherever I go. Amen. 
carry this grace that I have been given. I want to carry it to someone else. Isn't that what Jesus did for us? You see, everything about life before Christ said, I need to receive. But everything Jesus did said, okay, you have received. Now I want you to give. Does that make sense? So when the rest of the world says to zig, God says to zag. Everything with Jesus and his grace is opposite. It's upside down. The one who takes the highest place is the one who first takes the lowest place. A grace-filled person is one of humility and happiness. Now let's keep, continue with this passage in verses 3 through 5. Romans chapter 12, if we could put it up there, verse 3. For I say through the grace, everybody say grace, <clears throat> given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. Verse 4. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function. Everybody say the same function. Aren't you glad we're not all alike? <clears throat> Aren't you glad that God has a variety? Verse 5, so we being many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. In other words, grace teaches us it's not all about me, it's about us collectively. Everybody say, it's not about me, it's about us. God gives us grace so we can respect and love other people. In the Roman culture, when this book of Romans was written, power ruled the day, which led to large egos that eventually brought down the Roman Empire. Or empire. But here Paul's teaching flips this mindset on its head. Jesus' teaching says we put others before ourselves, and we honor the authority over us because all authority is given by God. That's what Romans 13.1 says. We serve those who hate us. Did y'all hear what I said? We serve those who hate us. How do we do it? Grace. I'm going to say that again. We serve those who hate us. We forgive people that hurt us. How do we do it? I want to say that again. We serve those who hate us and we forgive people that hurt us. What? Are you serious? Are you kidding me? Oh, I'm sorry. I, I didn't know. I thought we were Christians and we believe and sing about grace all the time. Amen? We don't self-promote. We God-promote. We seek the lowest place, not the highest place. We seek to serve, not to be served. We seek to serve, not to be served. We extend this grace toward others. As we've received this grace from God, then we give our life to, to project that grace on other people. What did Paul say? Verse 1. I present my body a living sacrifice. In other words, everything about me, I've received His grace, now my body reflects His grace. And everything I do, everything I say, all my actions, all my emotions, all of my feelings, I don't live to be served, I serve. Extend this grace toward others as we receive this grace from God. Now let's finish up Romans 12, verses 14 through 18, if we could read these verses. Bless those who persecute you. 
Can we just let that land for a moment? Bless those who persecute you. Does that say bless? You know, my contacts can act weird sometimes. Does that say bless? Bless those who do what? Bless and do not. Hmm. Can, can we just read that again? Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. You blankety blank, 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 beep. Y'all heard any of that? I'm asking Christians, y'all heard any of that? It wasn't y'all. I don't think so. Do not curse them. I mean, you could do a lot with this verse here, but I wonder if that includes gossip. Okay, let's keep going. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Next verse. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your, set your mind on high things. In other words, thinking pridefully. But associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Repay no evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. And we'll finish with this last verse. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live how with all men? Live peacefully with all men. There's another verse. I'm going to put it up here. There's really no need to do it because it's the most famous verse in the Bible, John 3, 16. Everybody say this verse with me. For God did what? Love the world that he did what? Come on. Okay, now I want you to keep that verse up there. So we're what? One, two, three, four. For God so what? Loved the world that he did what? <laughs> I think we've been talking about that. God so loved that he did what? He gave. And who did he give? His only begotten son. He gave the most precious thing in heaven and he sent it to earth. Mm. Now watch this. That word love, if you study that word love and you break it down, here's what it means. It's a word we're all familiar with, but it means it's the word agape. Agape love. Everybody say agape. Here's the meaning of agape. It means putting others above yourselves. Putting others above yourself. Not seeking to be served. Seeking to serve. In other words, verse 1, Romans 12, I present my body a living sacrifice. Holy and acceptable to God. Is that what it said? So when I think of serving, and I think of this word agape love, there were several things that come to my mind, but the first thing that come to my mind was Benny and Brenda Thomas. That's Tony's dad. Tony's right here on the second row, right behind Kirsten in the green shirt. That's his dad in the other green shirt right there. That's Mr. Benny. Tony is 
the um, longest member of our congregation. He's been with us, he's been with me and my family the whole time we've been in ministry, including my dad. But his dad, Benny, is sitting beside him, and um, that would be Alicia's uncle. And uh, we call him Uncle Benny. Uh, if you don't know Benny Thomas, he owns a barber shop here in our town and has, gosh, Benny, how long? 30, 40 years? 58 years. Wow. I was being modest. 58 years. Sir, when I thought about agape love, I thought about you and your sweet bride, Miss Brenda. And uh, I want to show the first four pictures, if we could put these up right here. First four pictures. This is them when they got married. <clears throat> what year was that, sir? 64. Look at these pictures. <clears throat> I'm jealous of that beard. This is them now. Right there, okay? Mr. Benny tried to take care of Miss Brenda at home until the situation grew worse. Until one, time, until one day he had to admit her into full-time care. For those that don't know, every day he shows up at the nursing home with diligence. He arrives at the nursing home as if he is on the payroll. Every day. He feeds her, he takes care of her, and he loves her until one of them go home to be with the Lord. That, my friends, is agape love. That is called presenting your body as a living sacrifice. I got some more pictures of the next four. This first picture here is when COVID happened and he couldn't get in to see her, he would pull up a chair and he would talk to her through the door. Show some other pictures if we could. That is their family right there. That's their children. And uh, can we give the Thomas family a big hand? That is agape love. Thank you, sir, for showing us love. Thank you for giving us a picture of what God's love looks like. I recently read of a father who would sleep in a recliner out of his love for his son, never sleeping more than a couple of consecutive hours at a time. A car accident had left his teenage son paralyzed, and to maintain the boy's circulation, therapists had to massage his limbs every few hours at night, or through the day, 24 hours. At night, the father would take the place of the therapist after working all day and working the next. He would set an alarm for every two hours to massage his son's limbs. That's agape love. I heard a story recently of a father. His story impacted me so strongly. But I heard a story recently of a father who was struggling with lung cancer. And When the doctors told him he had less than a year to live, he bravely said he wasn't afraid to die. He had accepted the Lord Jesus as his Savior and was ready to go home to be with the Lord and was not going to seek medical treatment. His children were grown and his wife had already passed, but then he learned that his only son was going to be a father for the first time. And When he learned the news, he made up his mind to be there when the baby was born. So in an attempt to prolong his life, he did seek medical treatment 
in an attempt to live longer to see the child born. The chemo tortured his system, and some days he could do nothing more than say, it's a bad day. When his granddaughter was born, he insisted on being there at the hospital. And the story's crazy. When he arrives, his arms were so weak that his son had to hold the baby girl up to them, up to him. But he had done what he set out to do. He met his granddaughter. He leaned over and kissed her on the forehead. And he said the last words that he would ever speak. Your grandfather loves you very much. And he leaned back in his wheelchair and he was gone. What is this love? This love that endures decades, that misses out on sleep, that resists death in order to get one kiss. Call it what it is, it's agape love. And just think, that is the beginning of how much God loves us. I'm talking to someone right now who finds it difficult to give love because you yourself have been unloved. So you've created a survival technique, and your survival technique is putting a shell around your heart. And your fear is love rejected because somebody rejected your love. May I submit to you that you may be skipping a step because those who are giving the love do so only because they themselves have first received love. The book of John, John said this in the Bible. He said, we love because he first loved us. When we allow God to love us, then there is a natural overflow to other people. Folks, we don't love people because they're lovable. People are cranky. Don't look at your neighbor. People are stubborn. People are selfish. People are grumpy. And that's just the description of, of the guy preaching the sermon. Don't say amen, wife. We don't love people because they're lovable. We don't stay married because our spouse is always lovable. We don't love our kids because they're always lovable. Here's a good one. We don't always love everybody at church because they're all lovable. <laughs> uh, no, they're not always lovable. If we love, it is because we first let God love us. The first step in discipleship is not an outward action. It's actually an inward action. It's receiving God's love. And you cannot give what you've never received. Listen to me. The Bible says God is love. How do you know how to love somebody? You don't. You do not know how to love until you've first received love. And who is love? God is love. So until you receive his love, you have no idea how to love. All you've got is infatuation. You don't know how to love. You don't understand the concept of love until you first received God's love. Amen? So I'm going to say today as I, as I wrap this sermon up, 
if you've been worn out by religion, it's because religion says it's all up to you. But grace says it's all up to God. It all begins there. But then like marriage and like children, your love grows and it takes intentionality and there's time and there's effort put into the relationship. Every day, Lord, please shower me with your love and let me receive it so then I can give it away. I want to drip grace. Oh, that's so good. I want to drip grace wherever I go. Don't skip this step. We read the scripture, love our enemies. And we're like, my golly, we're gritting our teeth. I'm going to love them if it's the last thing I do. It's as if, though, we have a bottle of love in the inside of us that's going to come out somewhere. It won't. You don't have anything to give until you've first received his love. You don't know how to love until God has loved on you. Amen? We give because we received. And if we haven't received, then we have no love to give. So I'm going to let you in on a little secret and um, something that, that I've been doing. It's a practice that I started a long time ago, and, and one of my mentors had me do it. Um, I went through something pretty traumatic in my life and because of that I experienced rejection Uh, I experienced people saying things about me that were not accurate and true and because of that it left this void inside of me and there was a period of my life where I could not receive love I couldn't not from my wife uh, not from my kids I mean, they would say they loved me and they would show me they loved me, but I didn't receive it and it was never good enough. And so I was telling my mentor one day, or actually he spotted it and he said, there's a problem right here. And he said, Jason, you're not receiving love. And so he had me do a practice and this was the practice. So now I do this and I still do it to this day. Maybe not every day because God has healed me from this, but I try to do it pretty often. But every morning when I get up, I get out of the bed and my feet come over the bed like this. Before I do this, I pause right here and I say these words. I look up and I say, I'm going to let you love me. I'm going to let you love me today. I don't know how you do it. I don't know the way you do it. I don't know all the things because I don't deserve it. But I do know this. Today I'm going to let you love me. You say, Pastor, why is that important? Because I don't know how to love you until God first loves on me. I don't even know how to begin to love someone until God has first loved me. I'm harping on a point for a reason. I hope you're getting it. You don't know how to love unless you let God love you. That's where love comes from. Aren't you proud of the love and the grace and the mercies of God? Thank you, Father. I want everybody to do that right now. Hold up your hands and say these words. Lord, I'm going to let you love me 
today. As we close this, this message today, the Bible says don't just, He don't just love us. It says He lavishes His love on us. The Bible says God loves a cheerful giver because He Himself is a cheerful giver. Can I hear an amen on that? And He wants to give love to you. And the question today is, have you received His love? Have you received His grace today? And have you said yes to Him so you can give that grace to others? I'm going to ask you to um, remain seated and I want us to just go into a time of prayer. Would you pray with me? And then we're going to pray over our moms today. But let's pray. Lord, thank you for your abundant grace. Would you right now find those hearts that are hearing a message on grace, but discovering they've never received your grace? Today, Lord, Online and in this room, would you open the eyes of their understanding that today they may receive the love of God, the unconditional, unmerited love of God, so they can be a living sacrifice to give that love away to others. Lord, make us aware of your great grace. And let us receive your love so we can pass that love on to others. And we thank you for it. In Jesus' name. Thanks for joining us today. Be sure to join us next week for another encouraging message from Pastor Jason Yarbrough and One Community Church of El Dorado.